0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Braindroppings podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Show. Tonight, Season 1, Episode 13, TBT, Throwback Thursday, Growing Up in the 80s. Baby birds, tonight I'm going to take you to a place called the 1980s. I grew up in the 80s, so we'll look back at some of the highlights, be it music, movies, pop culture, or whatever else I come up with. Don't miss this and every episode of Braindropping's podcast. We are excited to continually bring you new and exciting topics covering a wide range of areas in everyday life, whether it be shared stories, satirical look into the past, or just a hodgepodge of topics like when I do observations or my weekend review. Make sure to subscribe wherever you digest your podcast, be it on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, uh, Talk, Google Music, Radio.com, Pandora. Heck, you can even tell your Amazon Alexa, Alexa, play Braindroppings podcast on TuneIn to get the latest episodes from yours truly, your host, Joe Show, for the Braindroppings podcast. Don't forget to follow on Twitter, at droppings underscore pod that's at droppings underscore pod, or email the show directly at braindroppingspod at gmail.com. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode. So tonight is a TBT type of night. I was feeling it today while I was at the office. I was kind of had a creative block for the past couple of days. I had a Another podcast uh, previously scheduled with a, a pretty, you know, well-known local market uh, media guy who's been in the market for about 20 years across some of the major radio stations. Uh, a sports guy, a Green Teamer for those of you that are NBA fans. That means he's a Celtics fan. Uh, he's the host of late night on WEI, and you can read him. On weei.com, I'm talking none other than my coworker, my friend, and this phenomenal radio personality, Patrick Gilroy. Um, I botched his Twitter handle last podcast, so I want to get it out correct this time. It's at Gilroy, G I L R O Y, on hoops. So if you want to look him up on Twitter, it's at Gilroy on hoops. Uh, Patrick has his finger on the pulse. Of everything Boston Celtics, but I di- I'm digressing here. Let's get back to the point at hand. Uh, Patrick and I had a fairly local Boston podcast planned uh, with a little media on media hate crime going down. Uh, but there have been some developments and said um, media debacle in the Boston area, primarily do- to do with Entercom, uh, which is the parent company of WEEI Sports Radio in Boston. And At this point, we want to let a few more things bubble to the surface before we provide you with a strong 60, 90, or 120 minutes of solid contact, but that created a vacuum. My people, you love to listen to me. I love to bring you content, so I started trying to think of something fresh, and usually— You know, I do a lot of show prep into these podcasts and, you know, good, bad or indifferent. I just I'm a researcher by nature. It's what I do. I sell product for a living. I research the shit out of everything in my downtime. So here I was, complete creative writer's block, trying to figure out what to do. And I just started thinking, like, let's take a look at my life. You know, do I have anything interesting to talk about? And I started, you know, really fine-tuning it, and I realized that, you know, I could talk about certain things, but if they don't have a general appeal, then they're not going to make any sense. You know, will it provide you with an insight into who I am as a person a little bit better? I'm sure it would, but that's not what I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to to continue my, my good vibe type podcast um, that I've been doing, so it dawned on me. I was having a slice at lunch today, and I'm like, you know what else could I do it on? And then, literally, I heard a song on the radio, and it immediately made sense. Uh, <laughs> you may be asking what that song was, <laughs> and um, it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, it brought me back to, geez, nineteen eighty-seven, um, I believe. From the Joshua Tree album. I'm talking about none other than the band. Out of Ireland. You know them as you 2 Lead singer Bono. Guitar is Edge. Um, it was with or without you. And I won't. I might. I'm not going to lie. When I go through some of these songs from the 80s that were impactful to me. I might riff a bar or two. I don't care. You can't see me. You can't make fun of me. And if you want to laugh at me. Please go to Twitter and laugh at droppings underscore pod. And laugh at me. Tell me I have a horrible voice. Tell me I should pursue a career in music. Maybe I should be on American Idol or The Voice. I don't know. Um, But it was With or Without You by U2. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, when did that song come out? Like I know I was probably 13, 14 when I first heard it. So I double-checked, and sure enough, With or Without You uh, came out in 1987. And, you know, for those of you that do math and follow along in the podcast, the previous 12 episodes, you will know by now that I am 45 years old. I am in my mid-40s. So that means born in 74, 84 would have made me 10, and then 87 makes me 13. So I was 13 when this song came out, 14 when I think I first heard it. Very, very impressionable Um, When it comes to music and you are that age, if you are into music, Um, case in point, uh, as you've heard me discuss on previous podcasts, I do have a son who is turning 16 in June. Uh, Sometimes I refer to him as already being 16 because he's, he's growing up so goddamn fast in front of my eyes. But needless to say, it's like looking in a time machine and watching him and the music that he listens to the music that he's passionate about some of it I get a vast majority of it I don't but then when I take a deep breath and I think back to me at 14 and 15 I was into bands and styles of music that my father my stepdad who is a career musician and that's a no joke um my stepdad started in a band in 1964 as soon as the Beatles landed on American soil he was hooked uh he's a a classically trained bass guitarist, um lead singer, songwriter, producer, um he's been in several different bands over the course of his lifetime and reached pinnacles in the late 70s, early part of the 80s, so much so that a little band out of Long Island, New York with a lead singer had long blonde curly hair and wore some really bad face paint makeup. You know them better as Twisted Sister was actually the opening act for my dad's band. Um I refer to my stepdad as my dad and my dad is my dad, so if it gets confusing, I don't really fucking care. It's just how I refer to them. Um so My dad's been in bands his entire life, and I distinctly remember, I must have been 15, 16 years old, and I heard Living Color's Cult of Personality. And I thought the world stood still when I heard that song. Um, Again, not going to riff it for you right now, but you know that beat when you hear it. And so needless to say, I remember him, you know, not really. the The style of music that he played in his bands was more of a southern rock, boogie woogie, rhythm and blues type of um, band. They'd play everything from Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchet, up to Billy Joel and and Springsteen. It, it just touched everywhere. And growing up, you'd think that that type of musical background would osmosisly kind of penetrate into my my fibers and create this clone of my dad or stepdad it did not do i appreciate molly hatchet oh you bet your ass i do it's on my playlist for the gym when i hear flirting with disaster i'm all in um when i hear mustang sally when i hear um any ccr all of that stuff it just resonates with me in 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 a very soothing and and motivational way, uh, depending upon the flow of the beat. But I, when I was my son's age, to tie this all back together, was into U2, Pearl Jam, um Nirvana, REM, uh you you name it, uh you, Living Color, um, I'm trying to think of some of them right off the top of my head, Depeche Mode, The Cure, um, but then on the flip side of that, Slick Rick, Cool Moe Tribe Called Quest, um, all of this, I had such a diverse mix of music that I was listening to, and he just could not gravitate to the hip-hop music that I was listening to at the time, and I thought it was phenomenal, I, I couldn't get enough of it, and It's so funny looking back because my son now is listening to like Travis Scott and uh, Kanye and uh, geez, I can't even list half of the the rappers that he listens to because I've never heard of them. And I try to appreciate their music, but I'm always driving back in time and, and telling him, hey, listen, do you hear that hook that he just played in that song? that's from and I'll name a song from the 90s or from the 80s and he goes really and then I have to play the song and it's a long story short it's fun but it's so funny how we think we're so different than our parents and that our kids are so different from us but then sometimes we have these glimpses where we look back and it's a direct parallel to when we were younger so what a great topic to start on we're talking music we might as well keep it going so there is a list, and I snatched this list from none other than the good folks at VH1, because nobody knows classical 80s songs, pop or rock, um, much like VH1. So they compiled a list of the top 100 songs from the decade that was the 80s. And I'm going to tell you, before we start getting into them and I, and I pull apart a few of them, one of the things that stood out to me the most when I was going through the list was when I look back at the 90s, and I did, you know, because I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. I had some time while I was eating lunch today. I went back. I looked at the top 100 songs of the 70s, the top 100 songs of the 90s, the top 100 songs of 2000 to 2010. i got to be honest with you. I think the 80s, when you check off all the categories, whether it be music, movies, entertainment, TV shows... Maybe it's because I was a child of the 80s. But talk about the fucking golden age of all categories. And I'll show you by reading off some of the songs on this list. Let's just dive into the top 10, right? Should I do it Letterman style? Should I start at 10 and then work my way to one? Well, why don't we do that? So number 10 came out in 1980, the band ACDC, the song You Ship Me All Night. We all remember You Shook Me All Night Long. It, 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 you can't get that song out of your head. It's ingrained. Even the youth now, when they play youth sports, they're indoctrinated into this song. Um, and ACDC is, is, a, is a band in general. So that one, great to see it at number 10. I don't know. I might rank it a little bit higher because I do tend to fall more on the rock than the, the pop side of things. But, okay, we'll call that number 10. Number nine, Classic. 1986, right out of Harlem, Queens, Run DMC with Walk This Way. Not the Aerosmith version, the original Walk This Way. Uh, Followed by number eight, Like a Virgin from Madonna. That came out in 1984. Um, I have a very vivid memory of seeing that video for the first time. Now, remember, by the time I'm watching this, I'm 11, 12 years old. Uh, Madonna was a smoke show, sweetie, hottie, gorgeous. Now she looks like a goddamn marionette. It's like the jaw and the the cheekbones are too much, too much. Ladies, if I can make one statement, if it resonates with you, great. Guys, you already know this, so tune out for a second or two. But ladies, honestly. You don't need to do surgery. If somebody loves you, they love you from way deeper than your skin, way deeper than your outer crust. Keep that in mind. You don't have to go under the knife because long-term, it doesn't look good. It's not a good prognosis. And the more you do, the worse it looks, the older you get. Stick with what you got. It's great. Just love yourself, work it, own it, be you, and you will find happiness. So that was my PSA. I try to do a PSA every single podcast. I sneak them in, in spots when you're not paying attention. That's kind of the best time to do them because you technically listen to them. Guys, flip side of that, PSA, you absolutely do no work. And don't be afraid to go gray. Apparently, women find the silver fox sexy. I don't see it happening. And I'm almost 70% gray at this point. I'm in shape. I don't get looks anymore. It's okay. I got one person that looks at me, and that's all I care about. So, PSA is over. Number seven. I have a distinct, distinct memory of this song. I'm going to take you back to 1987 from the Appetite for Destruction album, Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine. Now, again, not ripping it. I can't get Axl Rose high in my voice, so I'm not even going to try. But... Sweet child of mine, for me, when I hear that song, and this happens with a bunch of songs, not just with me. I've talked to other people. This happens with several people. It may even happen with you. When you hear a song, do you ever flash back in your mind as vividly as it is, as if it were a dream, to a moment in time where that song resonates with you? There are a couple from this list that I will share the stories with you as we go. But my God, when I hear, sweet child of mine, I'm brought back to a New Hampshire middle school. I think it, so. That's five years before I graduate. I'm in seventh grade, right? I remember it because back in the day, seniors could haze in a good way. Not, you know, nothing horrific, nothing you're going to see on SVU, but. Seniors could haze freshmen, and my middle school was attached to my high school. So my high school technically went seven through 12, but seven and eight, we were in a separate building, and then nine through 12 were in a different. But I say that because freshman initiation, I remember that they gathered, I don't know, geez, this had to have been, I must have been in eighth grade. This was in 88. They gathered a bunch of freshmen. Some of them were my friends because I played sports and, you know, hung out with kids a year older, a year younger. It didn't matter my own age, but gathered them, had them stand on top of a car and belt out sweet child of mine. And I just remember watching it, laughing and thinking it was funny, but also thinking in the back of my head, oh, my God, I hope that's not me next year, because first off, again, you hear this golden voice coming through your microphone. I'm not capable of reaching the levels of Axl Rose. So it would have sat, even with my crackling puberty voice, it would have been horrific. So fortunately, I was not subjected to that. But that is my memory for Sweet Child of Mine. Number six on the list is a little predates me a little bit. I mean, the song came out, I was seven years old. So I don't really remember it. Since then, though, I've heard this song, you've heard this song a million times. I mean, if it makes number six on the top songs of a decade, um, it's I Can't Go for That, No Can Do <laughs> by Hall & Oates. Now, when I first read that title today, I'm thinking to myself, what song is that? And then all of a sudden this earworm came squiggling through the cyberspace that is life and plugged itself in my head and immediately... I see that flock of seagulls mullet thing that they had in the video. And I hear, I can't go for that. No, no can do. No, I can't go for that. And I was like, oh, that's Holland & So that's number six. That's my riff. I can do Hall & Oates. Um, number five, personal favorite. Came out when I was 10 and 84. Uh, probably heard it in 86. It was When Doves Cry by Prince. Phenomenal song. I don't have a personal memory attached to it. I just know that there are certain songs I hear that somehow, like, reach into the chess wall, grab the heart, and just have a great feel to them. And for some reason, When does Cry by Prince is one of those for me. I put this on the list only because it was ranked number four. And... At the time, from 1981 to 1986, I was a huge fan. Now, before I go any further, as soon as I reveal the name, some of you who are pretty good at this have already figured out who the hell I'm talking about, because otherwise, why wouldn't I just come out with the name? Um, And why would I lose my fandom? Um, Like many children of the 80s, we grew up on seeing the Jackson five on Sesame street or on television on Saturdays when we were with our parents or our grandparents. And then as we came into the eighties and Michael broke free and had a successful solo career, we listened to, you know, beat it and thriller and all of the hits that he came out with. And then as we all know, the nineties brought some salacious headlines for Michael Jackson, uh, the 2000s were no kinder. And sadly, you know, he succumbed to, I think, guilt, wow. succumbed to stress, succumbed to the weight and the depth and breadth of the allegations against him. And although they called it an accidental overdose suicide, which had a physician present who eventually lost his ability to practice, I I can't help but think that it wasn't necessarily an accident. I, th- I think I think the, the noose was tightening in on, on Michael and some of his predilections were coming to the surface. His reputation was going to be thrashed for life. Um, so yeah, number four on the list is Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. And I will leave it at that. I really don't want to talk anything about him because it's a negative vibe. And I have a really good vibe going with tonight's podcast. So we'll go to number three, which... Reminds me of my cousins. Now, I, I'm i 45. My youngest cousin um, is a year older than I am. She's a phenomenal mom, a phenomenal family member, a phenomenal daughter, a phenomenal sister, a phenomenal friend, a phenomenal wife. She's a phenomenal medical professional. Um, my cousin, Lynn, and myself um, were very close when we were younger. Just we were buddies. We'd hang out. We did everything. My mom would always be at my aunt's house. We'd be together playing, whether it's roller skating in the basement or playing tag in the yard or mother may I or red light. We were, we grew up together. Um, then I have another cousin who's a couple of years older than, than the two of us and also phenomenal mom, phenomenal person. Phenomenal family member, phenomenal daughter. I I keep going. I I have been very, very blessed in my life to not only um, have the wherewithal to not slide into negative situations as an individual, but I have been surrounded by some amazing men and women um, in my family that have shaped who I am as a person. And I have a lot of gratitude for for them and for how they've really kind of helped shape the person that I grew up to be. Whether I was that person when we were tight or not is debatable. Probably not. I mean, let's let's not mince words here. I was probably a dick when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, um, I cherish those moments. I, I I look back at them very fondly, and to see the people that they are now, I'm so happy that I have those type of people around me. So. Duran Duran was my cousin Lisa, the oldest cousin. It was her jam. Um, Hungry like the wolf. It was my God, good golly, Miss Molly. Um, it was blaring at my aunt's house on a regular basis. I remember the video with them all. you know, I think they were in sa- they were in sailing outfits with like blazers and striped shirts underneath. Hungry like the wolf. That's all I can do. Um, But yeah, I thought that was phenomenal. Number two, it could just get better. You know, that's the best part of when you're going from 10 to one, you may not be so emotionally invested in like 10 through six, but once you go five, four, three, two, one, bam, you, it builds the excitement. So number two on my list, definitive personal memory. So I will take you back. This, this, Song debuted in 87. I probably heard it in 88. Um, <laughs> I, I, I close my eyes and I can see where I am. I'm at my mom's house. I'm on the steps to the deck on the side door. I got my little boom box that I think I got for Christmas that year. And I have the hysteria tape and I'm playing it as loud as it'll go up to my ear, trying to learn all the words so that I can sing along with my squeaky puberty voice and pour some sugar on me is the song to this day. I make no bones about it. If you and I are ever in a car together and that song comes on the radio there is a straight-up concert about to transpire from the driver's seat because I'm never going to be your passenger. I'm always going to be driving that bus, and that means that means I'm in control of the radio, which means I'm also going to be singing. Um, Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar On Me To This Day is a song that I could recite verbatim, on cue, on key, at any moment. But I... I digress. That, that's, I love that song. It, there's something just awesome about it. And according to VH1, out of the top 100 greatest songs of the 1980s, the number one song debuted in 1986. Mind you, again, if we're doing math, I'm 12. By the time I heard it, I was 13. It was Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Yet another song. the second it comes on the radio guess what folks concert time um i morph into john bon jovi maybe i riff on my air guitar pretending i'm richie zambora uh living on a prayer from the slippery one wet album was a phenomenal transgenerational song i remember seeing Ladies that I thought were old, they're probably my age now in their mid 40s, banging out to this song like it was the second coming of Christ. And I remember thinking to myself, am I cool to like this if old people are liking it? But you know what? When you look back, it, it really was. It was a phenomenal song. It was a phenomenal album. And then, you know, take, take a look at Bon Jovi as a as a group. They're still technically together today you know, still cranking out songs every couple of years. Um, it's just amazing. It, it, it really is. So when I, when I scan through the list, if I'm going, you know, 10 down looking for someone that's, that step out, surprising, this one surprised me. It didn't make the top 10. It did make the, you know, top 15. It was number 11 on the list, which was don't stop believing by journey. I would have thought that would have been a little bit higher, but it wasn't. Um, Let's see. Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bengals. Had a thing for Suzanne Hoffman. I'm not going to lie if you're listening. Um, yeah, I did. I'm okay to admit it. Um, phenomenal. I, I, I love that song. is very poppy. Uh, the Bengals were an interesting group. I think they were a one or two hit wonder. Uh, number 15 was probably my second or third favorite song out of the entire decade that was the 80s, and that is Jump off the... 1984 album uh, for Van Halen. Uh, Phenomenal. If I go a little bit further down, Rick Springfield's Jessie's Girl was number 20. Um, Just Like Heaven by The Cure was 22. Rounding out the top 25. um, Welcome to the Jungle. 25 Guns N' Roses. sweet. (laughs) Do you know where you are? That's the best I can do. I can't do any more from that. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I could sing that whole song in that voice, but let's let's admit it. There would be cats jumping off of things. Number 40, another song. Instant concert in the car when it comes on from the B-52s, Love Shack. If you see a faded sign at the side of the road, it says 15 miles to the left. Yeah, I can't get that out of my head. Uh, Mickey by Tony Basil was in the top 50. Uh, Sweet Dreams by The Arhythmics was also in there. So I suggest if you have an opportunity, if you are a child of the 80s, or if you just want to go and check out some really good songs, um, go to VH1's top 100 greatest songs of the 80s. Take a look at the list. Um, Add some stuff to your playlist. It's okay to feel a nostalgia vibe going on when you When you check out that stuff, um, I'll tell you, it really did a great job of bringing me back to a very fun time. You know, you're developing as a human, you're, you're kind of, you, you look back to your childhood sometimes, and if you can take certain segments out of it, it can be extremely enjoyable. So it put me in a wicked good mood for tonight, um... Again, broadcasting from the studio in New Hampshire. I say that because I use the the word, the adjective wicked. Um, And let's face it, that is absolutely a Northeast term. So next on my look back to the 80s, if you go music, you might as well go TV, right? That's the next natural step. I couldn't even get through the full list. So I only gave a short list of these. These are some of the ones that I really enjoyed from the 80s. Um, <laughs> Cheers, obviously. I live in New England. It was based for the Bull and Finch Bar in Boston, which is still there. Tourist attraction. Um, not to be confused with Cheers in Boston, which is a replica of the Cheers bar, but not the original. It's a long story. I'm not going to get into it. Night Rider. It, For young people, David Hasselhoff – actually, I shouldn't even say for young people. If you're in your 30s, David Hasselhoff was the guy from Baywatch. If you're in your 40s, David Hasselhoff was Michael Michael Knight from Knight Rider. And his car's name that talked was Kit. Now, my car talks far more than Kit ever did. Um, MacGyver, anybody – I'll watch a show for an hour, half hour. I don't care. If you can take Band-Aids – Um, a zip tie and a jar and create a bomb. You're my guy. I'll watch you. Uh, Cosby show. Ooh, this. Yeah. I don't know why I put that on the list again. I don't know why each list that I have so far tonight has one derelict to society on it. So we, we crossed the, uh, the pedophilia bridge. And again, if you're a Michael Jackson fan and I'm sure that there are still tens of millions of Michael Jackson fans in the world. I have my opinions. You have yours. I happen to have a microphone. So sorry. Um it's gonna go the same for Bill Cosby. I also I'm a huge connoisseur. I've mentioned this on a couple of the other podcasts of all comedy, whether it be TV, movie, stand up, I, I just love comedy. Uh so growing up, Bill Cosby was kind of all I was allowed to listen to Bill Cosby, Bob Newhart, because they didn't swear. So my parents thought it was okay to listen to them. Little did they know that I'd go and take my little boom box that I referenced earlier and listen to Eddie Murphy delirious or Eddie Murphy raw or Richard Pryor or George Carlin. And I would listen to these guys and just Wah! Lenny Bruce. Um, it was phenomenal, but Back to Bill. Um, Before Bill put the pills in the people that didn't want the pills put in them, um, he had the Cosby Show, which you can't, it's kind of like Pete Rose. That's kind of how I look at Cosby. Um, Cosby is to TV what Pete Rose is to baseball. Um, Pete Rose has a lifetime ban from the Hall of Fame. I don't care how you feel on that if I could get a sports, a national sports writer, or if even if I could get my friend miles from St. Louis to jump on one of these with me and have a strong baseball debate about Pete Rose, we could talk intelligently about that. If you just want me to talk for one hour, it's going to be a one-sided argument. I believe you should be in the, in the hall of fame because I believe that what you do in your profession should not necessarily prohibit you or, or be held against you for what you do in your personal life. So if you know anything about Pete Rose, he was banned from baseball for life for betting on the game of baseball, big no, no in baseball. Um, He did it. And then he didn't admit it for like decades. And then he finally admitted it, but it's a lifetime ban. It's over. Um, Bill Cosby, but okay. So back to, back to Pete Rose. Sorry, I'll finish the story on the field. He was a beast. He was a generational type player to the game of baseball but he is not in Cooperstown. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the closest he ever sniffs the Hall of Fame is if he buys a ticket to walk through. So it's a shame that this god of the baseball diamond is not represented in the museum of the greats in Cooperstown. Um, so kind of bleeds into Cosby. Cosby owned family-focused television in the 1980s. Mr. Huxtable, Dr. Huxtable was... America's dad, you know, this was a guy that people emulated wanted to, to, to be like, whether you were a parent or a child, you wanted Huxtable. Um, and then as we all know what transpired after we found out that while he was doing Cosby and even before he was drugging people and and raping them. So I don't want to take away same thing with Michael Jackson. I don't want to take away the musical talent that the individual had, but the personal stuff just kind of gets in the way. But I did include him on my list. I included Cosby on this list, um, mainly for what they did in the section of life that we're discussing, not what they did outside of that, if that makes sense. So can we move on, please? Because, again, these three dudes are crushing my vibe tonight. Miami um, Miami Vice. Oh, Crockett and Tubbs. It was to me the coolest cop show on the planet. It was so cheesy. It was cool. Um, As a child of the eighties, Alf was a big deal for me. When I was younger, I would do Alf impressions. I I actually had his voice pretty much owned. Um, And that's kind of how I view impressions that I do. Like, When I hear somebody talk, if I can emulate that voice identically, it's as if I can almost see it. I can see the cadence. I can hear the inflection. I I can learn the mannerisms. And it's almost, you know, to savant level. I mean, I'm I'm not tooting my own horn, but I'm going to toot my own fucking horn. I'm really good at impressions. Maybe we'll do one on those, or I'll sneak a few in every now and then. But ALF, yeah, I I used to watch ALF a ton. Uh, That was our space alien puppet show that was... Oddly awesome. Um, who's the boss? Who doesn't remember who's the boss? You had Tony Danza, Alyssa Milano as a young child. I think Alyssa Milano is my age. Um, so I think there was, it was definitely the crush factor going on there then. Uh, there's no crush factor now, but there was then. Um, Magnum P.I., I loved Magnum P.I. I I loved um, Higgins, I believe, was his butler. And I loved the show. I thought it was really cool. He was like this super sleuthy P.I. slash ladies' man player. It It was great. Now he plays the patriarchal figure in Blue Bloods, which is so hard for me to watch. I didn't even like it when Tom Selleck was on Friends for that short stint. I just didn't like him any other way but as Magnum P.I. But that's just me. Um, This one, ah, mm -hmm. Pee-wee's Playhouse. We all remember Pee-wee's Playhouse. I'm going to stay away from Paul Rubin's predilections outside of Pee-wee's Playhouse, but how appropriate is the name of the show now, knowing what we know um, about Pee-wee in movie theaters? Family Ties, Michael J. Fox. um, Basically the show that launched his career into Back to the Future and the other movies that he's done. Stuart Little and you name it. Michael J. Fox is an acting son of a bitch. Um, the A-Team. Oh. A-Team was my first action thriller show that I watched religiously. Mr. T. Um, it was great. Duke's a Hazard. Bo and Luke Duke. Roscoe Pico Train. Oh. Some of these songs, uh, some of these shows from the '80s. As I'm talking to you, even when I was writing them down earlier today, I just have these vivid visuals of them. It's so, it's so cool to me. Uh, The Wonder Years, obviously. Who didn't like Winnie? Um, (laughs) I gotta throw this one in there. Um, Wow, talk about. Let me see if there are a couple others I can put in there before I get to. Okay, Benson. Loved Benson. (laughs) One of my favorite all-time shows was Benson. I don't think you could play Benson in today's world, much like you can't play All in the Family, but Benson was a great show. Then the next three, I know, I've seen every episode of, I know their theme songs inside and out. And I can't help but sing them when I I say their names. So uh, forgive me, but we're definitely going to do it. I'll start with the first one. Um, You take the good, you take the bad, you take them all, and then you have the facts of life. The facts of life. When you know you got to grow. Okay, so we won't go any further than that, but I loved the facts of life. Um, Blair, Tootie, Natalie, I don't remember. Joe, um, what a great show. Mrs. Butterfield I don't know I don't remember the the house lady's name With the red hair But she's a gingy We'll leave it at that Um, Believe it or not I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free Flying away On a wing and a prayer Who could it be Believe it or not It's just me Anybody? That's the Greatest American Hero theme song, which was a phenomenal superhero sitcom about a guy who could fly and he wasn't good at it. And it was it was great. And then the ultimate 80s TV theme song. Now, it's debatable. There are a bunch. Um, The one I always gravitate towards are, is this one in particular. And I'm trying to think of how I want to start it. Do I want to jump in midterm? Um, well, I guess you just go right to the chorus. Thank you for being a friend. Travel around the world and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Boom, 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 boom. And if you're through a party invited everyone you knew you would see the biggest gift would be from me and the card attached would say thank you for being a friend the golden girls by far has to be the funniest sitcom from the 1980s whether it was b arthur um betty white I, I, we could go by the actor's name or the character's name. You, you had, um, oh, geez, uh, Dorothy was B. Arthur. Rose was Betty White. You had Sophia the Grandmother, Blanche the Slut. What a phenomenal show. So Three's Company-ish, but with elderly ladies. It was, it, it really, to this day... If I'm scrolling around, like sometimes I, I stay up super late and I don't know why I do it because I get up at the same time every morning, but sometimes I'll stay up really late. And whether it's, you know, TV land or one of these rando smaller stations at night, will play like a marathon of the golden girls. And I'm always like, all right, saddle up. I'm in, <laughs> let's make this thing happen. Um, it, it what a great way to cap off my TV segment of that by singing basically the entire theme song to golden girls. Um, I really hope none of my, my friends in real life listen to this particular podcast. Cause I have a, a sneaky feeling that I'll get some voice critiques, <laughs> but I can deal with it. But segueing along um, into things that are intrinsically the eighties. I want to, I'm going to go out on a limb. And again, I did this, very similar to the way that I did the top 100 songs of the 80s. I looked at the 70s and the 90s and the 2000s and I did the same for movies. And I did that because as I was writing down the list of the top movies from the decade that was the 1980s, there were so many to choose from Um, like borderline, a ridiculous amount of movies. So as I was writing them down, I'm like, I'm only at 1981. And these are all phenomenal movies. And then I started thinking like, okay, well, should I group them by year? Um, how do I want to do this? And so what I did was I picked out some of my favorites. Um, I do have the list of the top 100 from the 80s. And we'll cut through for you know the honorable mentions as we go through them. But really, some of them... And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to tell everybody that 1984 and 1985 were arguably the two best years for movies that ever, ever came out. It's bizarre to me when you start looking at some of these titles and how they've, you know, stood in resolve as the, 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 the gears of time have marched on. They're still relevant they're still good movies so you know and again movies are very subjective everybody has a different thing i always gravitate towards action adventure and comedy um not so much into drama but i i do watch them occasionally um before we get into movies i am going to take a sip of my seltzer water i'll try not to burp Um, so i'll start this off with Number 1 rated movie of the 80s was Raging Bull. Starring none other than Robert De Niro, um following the life of the boxer Jake LaMotta. I mean Joe Pesci's in that, Kathy Mirati's in that, Frankie Vincent's in it. Martin Scorsese directed it. It's a phenomenal movie. Don't get me wrong, love Raging Bull. Love reading the story behind De Niro in Raging Bull. Um, it's such a method actor that he is. And, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I kind of give these little sneak peeks about how I feel about certain things, because at the end of the day, this is my fucking podcast. So if I feel some way about something, I'll share it with you. I know some of the, the views could be polarizing. Um, I personally think that, Robert De Niro needs to sit the fuck down and stop talking. Uh, I don't find him to be an influential voice. I love actors for what they do. They act. I don't love them as political pundits and, and, and faces of social justice marches. It's to me, it's, I get why they do it or why they feel compelled to do it because of their ego and that they feel that they're impressionable, but you know, not for nothing, but De Niro, your run's over, dude. I hate to break it to you, but it's time to quietly ride off into the sunset. You want to have, you know, Zac Efron stand up as the the head of some movement to either, you know, impeach the president or talk about the Me Too movement. By all means, go right ahead. Way more relevant, way more poppin' type of uh, career. I don't need an Icon Award winner telling me about his particular view and what we should all be doing. Um, I don't subscribe to it, so... A Phenomenal actor, great movie. Number two on the list, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. You have no idea how hard it is for me every time I say that movie title to not call it The extra testicle. Uh it's The Extraterrestrial came out in 1982, Drew Barrymore. Uh, Steven Spielberg was the director. It, it was phenomenal. I, I remember going to that movie as, Jesus, a nine, an eight-year-old, and my mom brought me right before the movie started, rookie move. You always have to show up an hour before. I don't care if it's 1982 or 2019. You show up 45 minutes before a film debut to get the seat choice that you want. When you show up five minutes before and two minutes before after you get popcorn and you walk in, we sat in the front row. So I watched E.T. as crane-necked as crane-necked could get, but I was enthralled. I've probably seen the movie. I don't know. Two dozen times, ridden the ride <laughs> at Universal a couple of times. It's I, I love that movie. Uh, but my all-time favorite from the '80s, Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark, Spielberg again, came out in '81. Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, John Reese Davis. It was one of the best action adventure fantasy-like movies ever. Um, Loved it. Amadeus, I'm I'm not going to lie. Only saw parts. Meh, at best. Platoon, okay. (laughs) I should also add to my action-adventure, any war-related movie JoJo likes to watch. So, Platoon, was a phenomenal movie a two-hour movie which wasn't really the norm back in the the mid to early 80s but oh my god that one was an oliver stone movie just the cast alone you had charlie sheen tom berenger william defoe keith david it was phenomenal a phenomenal movie like a, a cult classic so to speak um so that's, that really takes care of your top five. I, I want to talk about my, the movies I liked. Um, so Empire Strikes Back came out in the 80s. Uh, I think it was 81. 79 was Star Wars The New Hope. Empire Strikes Back comes out. Phenomenal. Airplane, hilarious. Um, Superman 2, who doesn't like a superhero movie. Um, Stripes. But one of the ones that stuck out to me the most was Poltergeist. I, I've i probably seen that movie six times. I have never watched any of the sequels, any of the reboots, any of the prequels, any other movie like Poltergeist or on the theme of Poltergeist have I ever watched. Um, I did that because like when you read a book and someone says, oh, don't go see the movie, it'll ruin the book, or "Don't, don't read the book, it'll ruin the movie – I felt like once you saw Poltergeist the movie, Craig T. Nelson, that little creepy girl, Tangina the midget lady, um, once you saw that movie, and if you were a child when that movie came out, um, it was extremely impactful. So again, for my elder millennials, those in their 30s, um, I will tell you that a similar movie would have been being a young child and watching Blair Witch for the first time. The original, you would be crapping in your pants. Um, so that's, Poltergeist holds that spot for me. Not an overly frightening movie. Given all the horror movies and and, and suspense thrillers that are out and that have come out in the last 25 years, they're, they're far scarier. This, for some reason, resonated, whether it was the staticky television whether it was that creepiness of it, whether it was the realness that the family kind of portrayed, it was a phenomenal movie. So Poltergeist has a special place in its heart. Uh, The lovely Kate, who is not here, would tell you that Red Dawn was a phenomenal movie. (laughs) Uh, Trading Places, Mr. Mom. um, Oh, This one, I didn't see it when it came out. I was obviously extremely too young, but my dad had HBO and I would wait until my dad fell asleep. And then I would turn on HBO because HBO after dark played all the risque movies. So the movie porkies, I never saw it at a movie theater. I never saw again, never saw the, the sequels to it. I only saw the first one. And as a kid who was just entering puberty, Porky's was like porn. It was literally, you know, prior to that, if you wanted porn at, at that age, you were happy to have like the Macy's or J.C. JCPenney catalog the Dillard's, um, the Ross dressed for less. And you were looking at the bra section and hoping for some, some nipplage. Um, but Porky's was one of those movies. I was like, oh my God, it's the first time I saw boobs on film that weren't scrambled. Um, so that was pretty amazing. But I mention all of those because the, in 1984, a group of movies came out that, regardless of the genre that they fell within, were just instant classics. And for so many of them, uh, I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight five, six, seven, eight. Eight of them to mention all came out in, in 1984. Um, across all genres, but just to think that all of these movies came out in the same year kind of tells me that 84 and 85 might have been the best years for movies in my lifetime. Honestly, best two-year stretch. So 1984, Trading Places with Eddie Murphy, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, loose. Anybody want to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon right now? Um, Police Academy. Basically, my entire database of impressions that I have been able to amass over the course of my life were all predicated on the first time I watched Police Academy. Let that sink in. Um, Romancing the Stone. Probably watch that movie a dozen times. I would watch that movie tonight after this podcast if it was on. And if it is on, de- on demand, guess what I'm doing? I'm watching Romancing the Stone. Are you Joan Wilder? One of my favorite movies ever. And just so you know, that wasn't an audio drop. I literally just did that impression. Um, Splash, Daryl Hannah, um, Ghostbusters, 1984. All of those movies came out. To this day, and again, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a weird tick that I have that I typically don't watch sequels or prequels um, or reboots. So, oh, sorry. Maybe I'm boring myself. I, um, With Ghostbusters, I haven't seen the reboot. I didn't see Ghostbusters 2, just the first one, and I thought it was flipping amazing. Um, to this day, still love that movie. I can't get through it anymore. It has become a little dated, um, so much so that I probably couldn't sit through that one. And in looking at the ones that came out in 84, Trading Places, I could watch that in a heartbeat. Gremlins, come on. Who doesn't need a little mugwai in their life? Uh, Karate Kid, I'll watch that. I'd watch that just to watch it. Uh, Footloose, dated, but yet the story is strong. Liked it. Police Academy, everybody needs a giggle. It's super dated. It's probably extremely racist at this point. I haven't seen it in at least 20 years. I'd still watch it if it was on. Romancing Stone I touched on. uh, Splash. Meh. It's kind of here or there. I don't know if I'd watch it again. Um, But the 80s brought us, you know, to kind of tie this all up, the 80s were a gift giving decade. (laughs) Whether it was you know, stories in the news. Um, you know, as a, politically, you had, let's see, in the 80s, you had Reagan for president. You had Bush Sr. for president. Um, that was it for the 80s. You had um, presidential candidate Gary Hart and his scandal, Dan Quayle and his scandal, um, Oliver North. Trying to think. I might as well just run into my whole Billy... I think you had... We, no, that was in the 90s. I was going to say you had we, uh, we Didn't Start the Fire. There's an 80s segment of that song, but that's not where I'm going with it. Um, one of the TV shows I didn't mention that for sure was in the 80s. Fantasy Island. I think it's where my whole fear of little people came from. Little Tattoo. ibas the plane, the plane not one of my strongest impressions. Um, the Love Boat. I kind of had a crush on Julie, the cruise activities director. Um, then there was some drama ones that I never watched as a kid in the 80s, like Dallas and um, Jesus, what is that other one called? Something Landing, but whatever that was. Um, never watched that kind of stuff. Uh, 80s brought us some interesting baseball. And just to tie this into... As I'm tying it all up in a bow here, um, some current news. This week, the Major League Baseball world and family endured a loss uh, with the passing of Bill Buckner um, over this past weekend. And Bill played 21 seasons in the majors, uh, was an exemplary athlete, an exemplary player, teammate, coach, um, overall good guy who got a raw deal Uh, Boston media in general for all sports used to be very, very rough and tumble. Um, Bill Buckner sadly is forever known as the first baseman in the 1986 world series against the New York Mets in game six who booted. And if you're not familiar with that term, he allowed a ground ball, an easy ground ball um, to go right between his legs, booted that ball and subsequently, the Red Sox lost game six, went on to lose game seven, and was unfairly um, labeled a loser or labeled the reason the Red Sox lost. And anybody with a soul that was alive in the 1980s that remember that 1986 World Series team for the Boston Red Sox un- understands that Bill Buckner was just a player on that team. They were far between the manager the pitching staff and the other positional players there were plenty of mistakes made that cost the Sox that series in subsequent years Bill Buckner became an endeared um, former player in Boston and fortunately prior to his passing had become involved in the Red Sox the Red Sox Foundation um, and the Jimmy Fund with the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute so good story sad ending for Billy Um, hope it wasn't a rough way out for him and, and wishing him and his family all the best. Listen, thanks for listening. This has been brain dropping season one, episode 13, TBT growing up in the eighties. I'm your host Joe show. Please make sure to subscribe to us, um, on wherever you digest your podcast. I'll be back with something fresh within the week. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I love doing this. Have a great one, folks. Be nice to each other. See ya.